Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, gearing up to play Mickey's Magic Bus Pass. And more than just a bloke in a suit, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 22nd of November 1994. FIFA 95 tops the console charts. Pato Benson is still top of the pops for one more week. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is still top of the UK box office. Now, last week we said we were both going to try and watch this film before this week's episode. One of us did, one of us didn't. I'm sure you can guess who didn't. Luke, how was it? I hated the first 20-odd minutes. Like, really, like, almost want to turn it off. Did Ooh. not like it. You can tell Branner's background. I haven't seen this film, by the way, since, like, pff, I can't even remember when. Like, I might have even been the 90s. I don't even think I rewatched this when I was at university, when I was going through a phase. But like, you can tell that Kenneth Branner comes from a theatre background because it feels like theatre at times. And it is, like, really overacted and actually quite annoying. But what I will say is the It's Alive scene bringing the monster to life is really, really good. Like, it's really well directed. I think Branner's really good in it. I think that De Niro is is a bit of fun in it as well. So yeah, so it was a it really was a mixed bag for me. There were parts of it that I thought were very good and parts of it that I thought were absolutely dog shit. I'll be honest, any Frankenstein movie, if you don't nail that it's a live scene, you're dead in the water. It's yeah. the one scene that you need to get right. And it doesn't matter whether you're doing a direct translation of the original work, whether you're doing a spoof, whether you're doing a gender flip, a parody, Frankenhooker, whatever you want to call it, you got to get that right. And so I'm glad they did. Yeah, it is. It's the biggest plus point I can give to the movie. Uh, you know, and the, uh, the other thing as well is that uh, I enjoyed the practical effects of everything because it was a film that was made in the 90s. So lots of practical effects, but also sets. And it made me realize how much I miss sets. 
like purpose-built sets for scenes, not just bonk your phone on a green screen and we'll do this or go on to a location and do something. These were all like purpose-built sets and villages and this and the other, and that I really, really liked. Okay, so during the timeline of Under Consultation, we've had a Dracula and we've had a Frankenstein. Which is better? Bram Stoker's Dracula, the, the Coppola one, it has got Ted Theodore Logan in there doing a British accent. Okay, let, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Which is an easier watch? Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think, is an easier watch because a lot of Branagh's stuff, in the, particularly in that first 20-odd minutes, is unwatchable. And also, you want to talk about practical effects. As we discussed when we talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula, they did everything in camera wherever possible. They did everything on yeah. set wherever possible. So purely from a filmmaking perspective, yeah, Dracula's probably the better movie. The other thing I wanted to mention about Frankenstein as well before we move on from there is the, um, uh, the the board game Horrified by Ravensburger, which is an excellent, excellent game licensed out by Universal. Really, really good. One of, well, I like Ravensburger because they do very good IP games, which I feel is uncommon in the uh, the world of tabletop gaming. But in the instruction manual, because like where they're listing out the various monsters and how you beat them, when it gets to Frankenstein and the Bride or the Monster and the Bride, they explicitly say. Because this town is overrun with monsters, they don't call the monster the monster because it's just too confusing. So they just refer to it as Frankenstein for the sake of ease. And I was like, that is, that's a wonderful bit of you because you don't want the pedants to be like, actually, I thought Frankenstein was the name of the doctor. So just, uh, it's a brilliant way of getting around that. Well, would you Adam and Eve it? The last week for this issue of the magazine has come. Technically, it was actually last week, but we made a mistake. We failed to notice Dom's big purple column, which is amazing because, you know, it's a two-page spread. It's a proper double Polaroid of a, of a feature. And it's always in our face as well. Although I do notice on the design, the word Dominic is in purple, but the words big purple column are in blue. It's a choice. It's a choice. And I somewhat feel that either it means the design department aren't paying attention or they are doing some kind of mid-90s trolling. Hmm. Both are entirely valid. But we are once more faced with the purple column and we are once more going to spend a day with Dom. Although he immediately points out that it's not really a day with Dom this month. It's not in any chronological order. I thought I'd take this opportunity to tell you all the inside stuff and gossip on the filming for the series of Games Master or alternatively just lie and make you think that filming is really, really exciting. Which, as we know, I mean, we know for a fact, we've heard from many people as well, it's not fun. It's very boring making television. But Dom kicked it off by going, by now you'll have seen a few shows and will have marvelled at the gorgeous new set. The reason that this series looks better than any previous one is simple. Money. Huge, big, sexy piles of it, all spent on the set. For legal reasons, I can't tell you the exact figure, but you could probably get a whole team of Chris Suttons and still have change for a packet of Spangles. I immediately love this column above most of the recent Big Purple columns because it references Spangles. It says the set was dreamed up by Steve Wright, the series director, a frightening man with tattoos who has worked with people like Kylie, D. Ream and Wright said Fred. Two of those are still acceptable in polite conversation. Mm, yep. Ah, but then he says they used to stay at this hotel and Steve cleaned the toilets. Boom, boom. However, the man who put these dreams into practice was a bloke called Drogo Michi. That's a made up name. A design genius who could have Tony Hart any day. He goes on to clarify for people that are apparently really thick that this show is set in hell purely because video games are evil. 
Now, we know that's not the only reason that it was set in hell. Oh, yeah. Go check out our final Dominic Diamond interview. The final Dominic Diamond interview for him giving the reason as to why this film, is, uh, why this series is set in hell. But he clarifies that they corrupt kids and make them into violent zombies who have epileptic fits all the time. It's true. I read it in the papers. Oh, don't change, Dom. <laughs> that is a lovely uh, shot at the sun there. It's no secret that we film all the challenges for the series in one huge, gorgeous batch. At least it's no secret now. Anyway, the good thing about this is that we can plan out our shows in advance, giving you, the viewers, more entertainment than you deserve, quite frankly. The bad thing is we do all of this in six days, and it is very, very tiring, in spite of the massive amounts of money I get paid. And we do know that Mm -hmm. he definitely made a last-minute call to double the amount of money he was asking for. You may look at the show and think, it doesn't look that difficult. Well, you know the ancient scientific theory. Lots of flames plus slightly overweight Scottish presenter equals big fat sweaty mass. The whole set was hotter than Pamela Anderson's bikini line. This was especially (laughs) amusing when we had a guy called Doug come on who was on the show as Golden Bomberman for the Super Bomberman 2 challenge, which is still in our future. It is in our future. Fun enough, I was watching that episode yesterday. Literally yesterday while I was... um, If you watch the board game channel that I'm a part of, No Rolls Barred, we do a series on there called Blood on the Clock Tower, um, which is a social deduction game. And during the night phase of Blood on the Clock Tower, you don't really know how long you've got before like you wake up for either your action or you wake up to do the following day's uh, worth of story. So I was using the night phase to watch Games Master episodes in preparation for like this podcast, you know, just sort of like making some notes and stuff. I like, using my time uh, sort of uh, constructively. And I watched that episode of the Super uh, with Super Bomberman 2. It is, it's funny because you'd think it would be a multiplayer game. And it's not. It's three separate single challenges. Maybe we'll refer back to this when we reach that challenge. But this guy called Doug, who was playing the Golden Bomberman that was being used in the challenge, he'd just beaten the second entrant and seemed to slump forward. So I suggested that we check on the lad. And lo and behold, he nearly died from heat exhaustion. It's like a tale from a Godzilla like set because you always hear those stories from the Godzilla set where he's like, we could only get like thirty seconds of footage uh, inside the Godzilla suit before you know they die of like heat exhaustion and you have to like pump water into it and stuff or like you know like air to get the sweat out and all this sort of stuff and it is a big old suit as well like i don't know if you recall it but it is massive and it's got like animatronic eyebrows on it as well that move it's it's wonderful it was a next generation uh, mascot suit certainly back to the column. Dom says that Games Master wouldn't be Games Master without the celebrity guests. And this series, they are so celebrity-ish that I didn't even know all of them personally. Over the next few months, I'll be picking on them at random in the return of Dominic's Famous Friends and awarding them points for niceness, comedy potential, and how much I fancied them. I bet you can't wait. I genuinely can't. It'll be more content for us to work with. I'd be very intrigued to hear what he's got to say about uh, today's celebrity guests. We'll get to that, definitely. (laughs) Finally, no filming would be complete without the rock and roll last night party. Now for this series, because we had so many people from the world of cinema working on the show, we had to excel ourselves. So we went to a hotel, drank a lot of fizzy pop and wrecked the place in the great Kurt Cobain tradition. I had my surfboard with me and we were surfing down the stairs, making humorous phone calls to the manager, asking for three tractors to be sent to room 414. And best of all, getting all these expensive statues and priceless vases that were all over the hotel and moving them into the lift. Isn't TV great? Aren't we hard? How much of this story have I exaggerated? Who cares? Is anyone still reading at this point? I care, Dom. Yeah, we're still reading at this point. There is a correction from last month's column. 
Last month, my game of the month was listed as Micro Machines on the Mega Drive. It should have been the Game Gear version, but the lads on the Mag are stupid. Yeah, Games Master seemed to bloody love the Game Gear version because that was like in the top uh, games of that person when we got to the end of year episode, uh, the un- end of year issue. We've had it featured in the consultation zone a couple of times. Clearly, they are massively into the Game Gear version. Well, I imagine that while Dom's filming or traveling or doing whatever, then he can afford the batteries. So the Game Gear is probably by his side at all times. You can only get so far into it, though, because those bloody batteries. I bet you he's just got a car battery with like an inverter. <laughs> yeah, maybe. On the top five for this month, number five is Leisure Suit Larry 6 for PC CD ROM. Larry now talks. It's fab. There is also much women QED. Number four, Alien vs. Predator for the Jaguar. Nice to see the Jaguar gets a representation. It is the only good game on the system. Outside of Tempest 2000, I just would put that caveat out there. Number three, Doom 2 for the PC. Great choice. You'll be bored hearing about this one now, so I won't bore you anymore. Number two, Pinball Dreams Deluxe on the PC CD-ROM. Eight tables, four of them are great, two are good, and two are iffy. Pinball is cool. Ha ha, ha ha. Mm-hmm. And number one, on the ball, World Cup edition for the PC and Amiga. Well, thank you. Okay, that really does surprise me. Disc accessing is a bit poo on the Amiga, but on the PC, this is the first ever football manager soap opera. I've not heard of this game, but I'm tempted to have a bit of a peek at it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that FIFA on the 3DO did not feature. Maybe by this point, he's bored of it because he's raving about it here on the show but this would have been filmed earlier in the year. So maybe now as we're in November, he's like, ah, I've moved on to something else. Or maybe he's pacing himself. Who knows, when we get to next month, because it will be probably in timeline, having just had the challenges and the FIFA championship we've had, maybe FIFA will be back, at least in his chart, if not at the top. Welcome to Games Master. I used to think all light entertainment shows were the same, but then again... I used to like records before I discovered CDs. You uh, uh, might be one of the best people to ask this question, because I feel like you have got some thoughts on this. But what, where do you stand on CD versus vinyl? I mean, I try not to stand on any of them. It's bad for the audio. That's not true. I'm pretty sure I saw on Blue Peter or something, then, then so you can smear jam on CDs and it doesn't affect them whatsoever. That was Tomorrow's World, and I <laughs> fucking hate them for doing that. I remember <laughs> that feature. But still, smearing jam on something is different to putting the full weight of an adult human on it. Mm -hmm. True. I like vinyl. I like CDs. I also like cassette tapes. Each of them sounds different. Which one I listen to will depend on what circumstance I'm in. Or if I'm on the go, it's probably just going to be digital audio on my phone over Bluetooth. Yeah. The one thing I will say that I like about vinyl, particularly albums, is it makes me listen to the entire album or at least the entire side because it's a lot of faff to skip tracks. And therefore, yeah. I think I appreciate an entire album's construction more when skipping a track is too much of a faff to be bothered with. Whereas on a CD or MP3, it's just, uh, next. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, the other thing I would say in favour of vinyl, not that I really have much of a, a horse in this race or a dog in this fight. Um, I'm a big, I, I like artwork. I like CD and, and artwork and things like that. And I think in the the age of MP3, I was actually reading uh, an article about this many years ago now. The bands don't really bother with artwork anymore because vinyl used to be this huge thing. CD is this slightly smaller thing. MP3, it's a really tiny thing. So you don't need to do intricate artwork because it's not going to be appreciated at all. But I think now that sort of bands are starting to release more things back on vinyl, we're starting to get more nice album artwork again. 
a few weeks back, my partner got me Ghostbusters 2 on CD. I saw, yeah. Yeah, which I very much appreciated because I've actually got that on vinyl, but it's not terribly portable. No, it's, it's not, is it? Not only does it mean I've got an easier form to listen to it from, but I could then stick it in my computer, make MP4s of it, and boom, it's on my phone because amazingly it's not on spotify no yeah uh so that, that, that's also pretty nice actually when i was, I was in the car with a friend of mine the other week and he put on a cd in his car and it was one i had a wonderful nostalgic thing for it because like I'm, at the moment i just plug my phone in you know i load up whatever spotify playlist i'm playing he literally opened up his glove uh, glove compartment pulled out a cd took the cd out and put it into the drive i was like oh i'm very nostalgic for this this is great i don't miss skipping though I, uh, when I used to work at Sainsbury's when I was a teenager and I used to cycle to work, I used to take my portable CD player and I'd fill my bag up, like my rucksack, with like, you know, probably the work clothes that I had and like my shoes and things like that. And then balance my CD player in a carry case on top of that so I could then have the headphones coming out. And that, the cushion underneath and the cushion of the carry case meant that I very rarely got skipping on my bike rides. Nice. Well done. Good bit of life hacking there. Exactly, yeah. Upstairs for thinking, downstairs for dancing. I've never seen you dance, but I'm now worried it might mean I has to go to HR if this podcast <laughs> had an HR department, which it probably doesn't. No, it probably doesn't. Anyway, the goblins are raving. That's why we're talking about this. The goblins are raving, and then Dominic Diamond, the little prick, cuts the cord. On their turntable. That's the thing. It, they, are, they are raving to a very old-looking turntable. But once again, these goblins are just doing the business, and my heart soars when I see them because they are... They, they are having it medium. They're not having it large because they're goblins and they're quite small. So they're having it medium. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And it's remarkably my second favorite moment with the goblins on this episode. And I really didn't think it would be topped, but it is my second favorite moment with them. And I love how when the music is cut, they do just kind of stop dancing and they're just looking around going, what's, what's going what on? What happened? They only stop looking around to find out why their, their buzz has been harshed is when he just goes, what's our first challenge? And they just do this wonderful looking up to where the games master's going to appear. I, it's so, they are so into it. Yeah, really are. I'm going to miss them when we get into series five. And I'm just sad because we're kind of counting down to them going away. Yeah, and being replaced by the angels. But you know what? Let's, let's save the moments we've got and let's find out what our first challenge is. What are we playing, games master? My first challenge is on the charming platform game, Nicky Mania on the Mega Drive. Contestants have one minute to collect as many points as possible, taking care to avoid the many obstacles that block the little rodent's way. Good luck. Now, we talked about the difficulty of The Lion King uh, a few weeks back, actually for several weeks while it was being promoted throughout this show. You want to talk about a game that is f***ing hard. Mickey Mania on the Mega Drive in the SNES is nails. And it's nails because it's not very good. There is some collision detection issues and some platform landing issues. There's a lot of issues in this game. One of the biggest issues is, as is mentioned by Dominic, is, oh, it's Mickey's 65th birthday game. Except Mickey's 65th birthday was in 1993, and this game was released in 1994, because when they were commissioned to make this game, to get it released within Mickey's birthday year, they'd have only had six months to make the game. And they thought, ah... Yeah, that's late planning. That is coming up with an idea far too late. 
uh, to really act upon it. So it is. It then actually becomes a 65th anniversary uh, instead, which you know it, it, it's nice enough. But it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a shame that they didn't quite get it in time for the 65th birthday. And I love the concept of it because mm, I think it's one that we revisited with Mickey again in one of the more recent titles. Yeah, the one where he's like facing up against Oswald. Yeah, and where he goes back into his old cartoons because he goes back to Steamboat Willie and stuff like that because this is essentially Mickey revisiting his cartoon history. And as you can tell, because in this challenge, he's in colour, everything around him is in black and white and it is very much the old style dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum animation where everything has to always be moving. Uh, the other game, actually, the Ravensburg put out uh, an IP game, which I adore. But I've mentioned a lot of tabletop stuff there that I'm recommending. Disney Villainous is a very, very good um, uh, Disney board game. And one of the expansion packs I got for it recently is the one that comes with Pete from Steamboat Willie as the villain. And I love the art. The artwork's all in black and white. The board's in black and white. pieces like in black and white. And it's, it's gorgeous. And I love this style of, of animation. I love the, like you say, I love the concept of this game doing you know going from steamboat willie all the way up until prince and the pauper is a really really nice touch doing some of his big hits lonesome ghost and all that and i think it really comes down to that interview that we read a few weeks back when talking about the lion king which is that disney's edict was a, you couldn't complete the, the a certain amount of the game within a certain period of time because of a deal they had with blockbuster and i feel that mickey mania suffers like the same fate as that which is they made it too hard so that you could get the rental market and make people buy it. And unfortunately, I think in doing that, they made a game that's less fun to play. I would agree. Um, Also, just because I'm sure some people would have shouted at the podcast by now, it was Epic Mickey. Epic Mickey, that's the one. Yeah, it was Epic Mickey, and then there was Epic Mickey 2 and Epic Mickey Power of Illusion. Yes, it, yeah. I really liked Epic Mickey. I, I mean, I can't say I liked it that much. I forgot the name of it. But I do remember enjoying it. And as I said, like, it's you versus Oswald uh, the Lucky Rabbit, which is a very, very lovely touch. But anyway, this game, in addition to its somewhat questionable 65th birthday versus anniversary, and I'll be honest, still a fairly short development cycle, came out for the SNES, the Mega Drive, the Mega CD, and a couple of years later was released on the PlayStation as Mickey's Wild Adventure, where it was essentially the same game but with CD audio. Yeah. There was almost a sequel, but Traveller's Tales had to scrap that game to go and work on the Toy Story tie-in game. We'll get to that in our timeline as well, because that's a fascinating game, because like, Sega did a massive push for that, because that was like, you know, 3D shading and things like that in the game. It was almost like their attempt at doing a Donkey Kong Country-esque game. And I don't think that one got... It's actually a bit nightmarish at times, the uh, the Toy Story game, but we'll get we'll come to that when we get to it. My favorite thing about Mickey Mania is, as I, as I said, love the concept of it, but it is kind of telling of how Disney had treated the character or how how Disney saw the character in terms of, you know, the 65 years that, that he's been around. Because, you know, we're starting in 1928 with Steamboat Willie, then going to 1933, and then we're getting to 1947 for Mickey and the Beanstalk. And then the final level is Prince and the Pauper from 1990. It's like 40 years of nothing uh, with Dis- with Mickey Mouse that basically just gets skipped over. Yeah, he d- he did get left behind. It's because Disney became too protective of the character. They were, like during the 80s and into the 90s when they were doing like Goof Troop and DuckTales and things like, like the original DuckTales, they weren't allowed to have Donald Duck in the show. Donald Duck's in like the first episodes dropped the, the triplets off. 
But Disney were like, well, you can't, Donald Duck's a prestige character. He can't be in a TV show. And they had the same thing with Mickey as well. Like they keep, they were so protective of the Mickey brand. And as such, just doesn't do anything. I know, I can kind of understand why, because when you think about it, people go to Disney World and no matter what characters there are, it's Mickey, Minnie, Donald and Daisy. They're, they're the flag bearers. They are the ones that people will want to see and meet and have photos taken with. They can't afford to be in a television or film product that tanks. It's why we didn't get a Barbie movie in the, the 90s, I think it was. Maybe the 80s, actually. I think it was the 80s they were going to do a Barbie movie. Uh, Alan Menken wrote the music for it. Like, it was going to be this big musical piece. And Tom Kalinske, currently in our timeline of Sega, but then of Mattel, shut the project down because he had this worry that whoever was cast as Barbie, if that actor then got into trouble with the law or something like that, or she coloured outside the lines, then that would damage the Barbie brand because she would probably be referred to as Barbie actor XYZ. And he was like, that's not a risk we're willing to take. Thankfully for them, with the Masters of the Universe movie, the only real mistakes that Lundgren made outside of Masters of the Universe were other career ones. Because, man, he appeared in some some wonky movies. Although, I do have a soft spot for the 87 Masters of the Universe. Same here. Frank Langella giving it his all as Skeletor is a delight. Especially when he goes to fabulous Elton John Skeletor right at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tiara and tantrum Skeletor. Moving on down for our first challenge, we have Tyra Hussein and Nora Quartney. <laughs> Now, Tyra, you are super cool, and I'll tell you why. Because you've told us that you don't like green vegetables, which I think is very smart. What's your top five all-time worst green vegetables now? Peas, 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 peas. Very clever answer, and you didn't have to do so much thinking as well. Very clever, Tyra. You'll obviously go far. Nora, now you said you want to be Lymphor Christie in another life. Yeah. Yeah, do you see when he won the, when he won the Commonwealth gold? Well, tell, me, tell me the first word that sprung to mind when you saw his face. He was a bit grumpy and he just thought that he was like, he, he knew he was going to win. Yeah, and uh, well, we'll be checking your face carefully to see if you think the same tonight, Nora. Our players for this game are two tiny children in Tyra and Nora who are very shy and uh, are, are very, very sweet. But actually, I think Tyra is great in this when it asked about like, you know, I hate you don't like your green vegetables. Which ones don't you like? And our answer for all five are peas, 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 peas and peas. What are your uh, green veg you don't like? I'm actually okay with most green veg. I like peas. Love peas, me. I like broccoli. Mm -hmm. I like most form of beans, runner, broad, whatever. Spinach I'm good with. Most green leaf salads I'm fine. Maybe kale. It's not yeah. actually the vegetable itself. It's kind of the culture surrounding it. Oh, seaweed. I don't like seaweed. It is technically a green vegetable. Uh, but most yeah. of the time, it can piss off. I quite like a bit of uh, cabbage. If you're, getting a, if you're getting a Chinese takeaway, I think it's... I, I quite like having that on the side, like a bit of crispy cabbage. Like crispy, fine. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think also because I can't eat fish, the taste of seaweed reminds you of fish because it's got the saltiness and it's associated with sushi and Japanese cuisine. So yeah. I don't mind my veg. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, so I kind of I have to like it all, really. Cauliflower was one I only came around to in, in the last few years. Never liked cauliflower when I was a kid. I hated the stuff. It was just really boring. Well, there you go. That's what you come to this podcast for. A little bit of chat about Mickey Mania and then more chat about our favorite veg. It's why we're one of the big boys, Luke. <laughs>
it's amazing no one's tried to compete against us for uh, Games Master Podcast Supremacy, really. They're not going to top it. We're just setting up for our Ready, Steady, Cook podcast that we're going to follow this with. I mean, we did talk about doing that for Under Console Extra at one point. But we couldn't find any period-appropriate episodes. All the episodes were later ones, and it's like, no, it, we want to yeah. do classic era. Um, if, I'm doing, if I'm doing Ready, Steady, Cook, I'm doing the 90s Ready, Steady, Cook or nothing else. And then we get onto a bit of banter about Linford Christie being grumpy. Yeah, and you'd think, like, because Dominic Diamond bringing up a celebrity often makes you think, okay, is this going to be our dunking target for the week? But it's not. That will actually come in our celebrity challenge. Here he's just really just wanted to talk about uh, his grumpy face, and we'll look out for your grumpy face if you do well in the challenge. Now, we've seen Dominic be a bit of a git to contestants, even kids, and he himself has some regrets about it. Dom is lovely with these two. All the yeah. way through the challenge, he is very generous with his time, generous with his humour, doesn't really punch down. I appreciated the way Dom handled these two because they were both very nervous. Yeah. Like if they're being gobby little gits, I'd be like, oh, knives out, mate. You kind of brought this on yourself. We're not going to punch down, but if Dom does, that's fair enough. But no, he was lovely here. Really nice. Yeah. This isn't like that kid that came on with the uh, the swear or whatever it was on his T-shirt. And he was like, oh, I bet you think you're ours. No, he was very sweet to these kids. The latest high-tech movie eating box office pie in the States is Stargate. Using the old let's film in the desert and pretend it's an alien world trick, Stargate tells the story of army bloke and Egyptologist bloke who stumble through a portal into another dimension. Stay right here and shoot anything that comes down that ramp. Featuring the bloke who was a bird who was a bloke in The Crying Game, the film opens in cinemas next January. My orders were simple. Track down signs of any possible danger. The game veteran from Acclaim follows soon after. Ooh, this is some good bit of news. It is, isn't it? Kicking things off this week, Stargate. Oh man, it's it's never a bad start to a news section when you get both Kurt Russell and James Spader. Do you know what? Stargate is a movie. Dude, I haven't seen this film in a time. I haven't seen this film in a long ass time. As soon as I'd finished writing my notes for this piece... I went and added it to my watch list because I'm like, yes, please, I want to watch this again. Is it on, like, a streaming platform? It's on Amazon. It is a pay-for, but also they did just release an anniversary Blu-ray of it as well. So there is a nice, shiny, I think, 4K scan of it out there as well. And there are still some really nice practical effects in this movie. There is some CGI. And in fact, uh, there's a YouTube channel called The Corridor Crew. And they do a lot of stuff to do with visual effects. And they also do a couple of series, one of which is uh, visual effects creators react and stuntmen react. So you have the mm. stuntmen coming in and reacting to stunts. That's really cool. But the visual effects ones, sometimes they're looking at CGI and sometimes they're also looking at classic model shots. Like uh, they did a sequence from Ghostbusters 2 recently about how they did the courtroom scene. And they had a guy recently who worked on Stargate and was talking about how the water effect was created for the actual Stargate itself and how the static shimmering water is CGI. Mm. But the sploosh kind of effect, the punch, I'm doing a movement that none of our listeners can see, but I'm kind of pushing my hand towards the camera. That effect was actually done by firing an air jet into water and then filming it oh cool but this is of the era where while cgi was making itself felt and certainly it's used throughout this movie there were still the last gasps of practical effects and model shots i have a soft spot for stargate i saw it in the cinema i remember really liking it at the time kurt russell looks a little bit weird in this movie i didn't remember that until i saw the trailer and i'm like what the hell happened to kurt russell what's going on with his hair yeah, it doesn't look like Kurt. It's weird. And I think this is why a lot of people don't really remember like the early 90s period of Kurt Russell. Like everyone remembers 
him working with John Carpenter a lot. And then it's pretty much just a period of silence. And then it's like, oh, yeah. And then he did him uh, Escape from L.A. And then Kurt Russell sort of comes back again. I don't want to talk too much about the actual movie itself because we get this as a number one movie. In fact, the start of next year, hold on to your hats, folks. We get Stargate as a number one film. But when I was looking ahead to see if we did, I noticed we also get Wes Craven's new nightmare. I know, right? Like at the start of the year, we get new nightmares. It's like when we, the first thing we did on this podcast and we got Freddy's dead. Cannot believe that we are doing a 90s podcast and we get two number one Nightmare on Elm Street movies. What the hell is going on? And we've got a Hellraiser film as well. I was about to say the 90s is better for genre films than I remember, but at least two of those films were bad. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That is very fair. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to us reaching Stargate because it is like a, it, it's the Roland Emmerich. I'm not going to say Renaissance because that obviously makes it feel like it's a comeback. But people don't really remember him as the Universal Soldier director, but they very much remember him as the director of Stargate. From Stargate, you get Independence Day, and from Independence Day, you get Godzilla as like his '90s quadrilogy. And there's sort of like it's varying levels of success, I think. But the success of this gets him Independence Day and the success of that gets him Godzilla, a film he did not want to make. And maybe that is one of the reasons it shows because I really like Stargate. I also really like the first Independence Day. That second one can get in the fucking seat. I saw that second one as a double bill with the first. And if you want to set yourself up for disappointment, watch the first Independence Day, then watch the second and you will realise how all the joy... And the thing is, it is kind of like, you know, potential apocalypse movie, but there is a lot of humour in that first Independence Day. David, 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 I've got to call my therapist. David, why don't I tell my mother to go to Atlanta? I mean, casinos, probably. I don't know. But it goes downhill. And man, oh, Godzilla. We we don't actually get to Godzilla in our timeline, do we? No, it's late 98, that. Oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> But while we're not going to talk about the movie, we can talk a little bit about the game because, hey, would you Adam and Eve it? It's a runny, jumpy, shooty, platformer, shooty type game. It's an acclaimed game. It came out for the SNES and the Mega Drive and was basically reviewed as so-so. There was. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore, this idea that when you make a movie, a game goes alongside it. But man, we are just in a period of time where like, if you've got a big budget movie, guess what? There's also a tie-in game to go with it to market that movie. And pretty much all of them have the same reviews, which are, yeah, it's all right, I guess. They're all the same fucking game as well. I suspect there was also an element of because they got thrown some money. Like, we're not going to praise it because that would be too obvious, but we'll say it's not terrible. A few weeks ago, we showed you the first three games for Sega's new 32X add-on. The next batch due after Christmas includes the rather bizarre beat-em-up Cosmic Carnage. Also, the ancient arcade classic Space Harrier, and yet another ancient arcade classic Afterburner. All this looks funky, though some original titles would be nice. Go on, you know you want to. Oh, man, you and I have talked a lot about the 32X in the last few weeks, but this is a depressing bit for the 32X here, because this is like, hey, guys, we showed you the first three games that are coming out for the 32X. It's the Star Wars arcade game. It's Doom. It's Virtual Racing. Look how rad these are. What's the next ones? Space Harrier, oh yeah, a game that I can actually get on my Mega Drive and I've been playing for ages. Oh, what's the other game? Afterburner, same deal there. And the other one is Cosmic Carnage, which is absolutely awful. But it was a 32X exclusive, Luke. The only place you could play this game was on the 32X. One of the rare ones. 
I do love, there's a quote here, and it's from the former Sega of America executive, Michael Latham, stating that the company was rushed to release the game on time for the 32X's launch and said that when Cosmic Carnage showed up, we didn't even want to ship it. It took a lot of convincing to ship that title. Eesh, man. I think there's something like a Tom Kalinske quote where like someone asked him about it and like, he, like at the time he's just like, yep, you know what? Not every game's a hit. <laughs> like, say, yeah, it's a bit rubbish, that one, isn't it? Well, Next Generation rated it one star out of five, saying it was a sad, shambling mockery of a fighting game. I mean, whilst we kind of just dogged on the fact that they're announcing Space Harrier and Afterburner, as far as home console ports go, for a good while, they were the best way to play those two games. The 32X versions were very, very good, and by kind of the lack of depth of the 32x library they certainly kind of made it onto the must-own list some of the only must-own 32x titles were arcade ports oh yeah totally so afterburner space harrier star wars yeah virtua racing exactly because it ain't doom because the conversion of doom ain't good on the 32x so yeah like you're right it is just like arcade stuff to go into the homes the problem is and it's like what dominic diamond says in this news piece here is that Space Harrier and Afterburner were like effectively launch titles when the Mega Drive came out in 89. It just feels like we're getting, we're doing nothing new with this technology. Virtual Racing is about the only thing that's really pushing this forward, that and the Star Wars game. One exclusive test preview last week in Hamley's Metropolis Centre was the 75% complete Virtua Fighters 2. With new characters, more polygons and loads of extra moves, Virtua Fighters 2 already makes its predecessor look like, uh, Virtua Fighters 1? Virtual Fighter 2 in Hamleys. I know, right? This is a very weird one. Uh, not so much, Okay, I'm just going to get this out of the way now. Dominic Diamond constantly calling it Virtual Fighters. And he said it like three or four times. I'm like, there's no S on it. There's no, come on, Dom. Come on, you know, you know there's no S on that, Dom. Come on now. This is an incredible piece here because you watch that Virtual Fighter thing. We saw Virtual Fighter on the Saturn piece that came out a couple of weeks ago. What an incredible leap between Virtual Fighter 1 and Virtual Fighter 2. Virtual Fighter 1 is such a block game. This one is such a much smoother and like much smoother and like more well put together piece. It looks for 75% complete. It looks so much better than its predecessor. And whilst we're just seeing Virtua Fighter or Virtua Fighter Remix to be more specific on the Saturn, the arcade was a 1993 game. This is the 1994 edition. What a leap. It's incredible, isn't it? And we wouldn't have to wait long to get it in the home because the Sega Saturn would get a port in 1995 and even PC owners would get in on the action in 1997. They'd get their own port. Now, we're going to see Virtua Fighter 2 on a challenge next series. We're also going to see more Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter Kids and Virtua Fighter 3. But 2 is actually probably more of a breakthrough game than the original purely because it's the one that introduced the concept of textures being mapped onto the 3D characters and was also one of the first games to additionally use motion capture for its animation. When you look at Virtual Fighter the original, the characters have a certain style and charm to them. Mm. But they are very clearly of the old school polygonal character building. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're say, everything's flat, shaded polygons. Again, we talked about how weird time is when we look back at this and we assume some things were closer together and some things were further apart. I can't believe that there was a year between these two games. Yeah, it is nuts, isn't it? Bearing in mind that we haven't got the Saturn, like it's a big release for the Saturn, actually on the 32X, we're already talking about its sequel. It's kind of the same thing we had when Doom 2 came out. You kind of forget how close together Doom and Doom 2 were in terms of release. It, time is a funny old concept in the 90s. 
at spoilers for an upcoming episode, we get Virtua Fighter on the Saturn reviewed. And it was a genuine moment of me sitting here, like watching it being like, wow, this show is moving forward, man. Like a, a, a Sega Saturn game is being reviewed in Series 4. See you later, Mega Tribe. See you later, Snez. We're moving onwards. That was news. Now it's time for Mickey's 65th anniversary challenge. Helping me along with this is Steve Merritt from Min Machine. Steve, I can understand a 50th and 100th anniversary game, but why a 65th? Well, Mickey is now of pensionable age, and they had to get in before Mickey's Magic Bus Pass came out. And of course, Mickey can now qualify to stand in front of shop queues all over the world. Absolutely. Probably queue for free vegetables too. Now, Steve, any tips? Uh, have you got any tips for our two contestants here? Yeah, you have to take it a bit easy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to collect, but there's a lot of hazards too. There's swinging maces, there are cranes which have to lift shots at high levels, and there's loads of hidden nasties in crates and things. So just take it a bit easy. I uh, got a bit of an Alan Partridge-esque chuckle out of Dominic Diamond's outro line from the news, or like to, you know, to leave into Steve Merritt from Mean Machine Sega making his joke, because he just goes, that was news. Steve Merritt from Mean Machine Sega is with me. <laughs> Uh, but I, I did actually enjoy Steve's joke about uh, old age pensioner Mickey and Mickey's magic bus pass and this, that and the other. And his advice on playing this game, which is to take it easy because there's a lot of challenges, is absolutely bang on the banana because this game is tough. You've only got a minute and it's pretty slow, but there is a lot out there that is going to kill you because this game is hard. Dom does have a very valid point, though, which is, I understand 50th anniversary, I understand 100th anniversary, why 65th? And that's where the bus pass comes about. Like 65th, I guess it's a, a nice round number. They probably have plans for the uh, for Disney World's attractions. I mean, yeah, everything with Disney, particularly when it comes to Mickey Mouse, is about marketing. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I mean, there's not much to say about either of these two rounds because they both do the exact same thing. They walk forward, they collect 13 pellets, and then struggled with the collision detection in this game, which is basically non-existent. This platform that they're trying to jump on, Dominic Diamond even says during uh, Nora's second round on this, that that is a transparent ledge that they are trying to jump onto. And really, like, Tyra dies after getting 13, with about th like 35 seconds, I think she had on the clock, she had about 25 seconds still to go, with getting 13. And then Nora just about gets 14 and then also dies. One of the big issues this game has is it is a very nice looking game. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully animated. And as I mentioned, this is kind of an old school Mickey Mouse short that it's based on. And so everything is moving. There's not a lot to delineate background and foreground. And that's especially true of these ledges they're meant to be landing on you'd expect it to have a darker outline or maybe some slight shadowing or, or just, just something. Yeah. One thing I noticed on this challenge, which really confused me, and I'm not sure if it was something they did just in case they both scored the same but had to come down to time, is the clock was counting up. I noticed that as well because when I first made my notes and Tyra died with 35 seconds on the clock, I wrote my notes. She only got 25 seconds into that challenge. And it was only then when I was watching Nora's one, I noticed it going the other way. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I was wrong. She got, she got 35 seconds in. As you said, the only difference between these two runs is one pellet. That's yeah. it. But other than that, both of them take damage in almost exactly the same places and exactly the same ways. And in fact, I believe the cause of death for both of them is identical. It's a bloody bird flying across the screen. 
and just wonky shonky collision detection yeah the collision detection really like knackers both of them in this and also i think that if i remember correctly because some people might be able to correct me about this on the discord if you can get through steamboat willy the rest of the game's quite enjoyable but this challenge here this is a bad advert for the game this game, this challenge would not make me want to go out and play the game. They should have level selected it and gone to a second level or something if there is a level select cheat. The only other thing I wanted to make mention of this challenge is that I would almost wager that Steve Merritt has not played this game or at least doesn't know it very well. Because th- right at the start of this, um, when Tyra is grabbing the pellet, she doesn't grab this star. And Steve Merritt said, oh, that's a mistake because that's worth points because you're meant to be, you know, collecting as many points as possible. But that's not worth points. But actually, when uh, Nora collects it, it doesn't affect the score whatsoever. And there's a moment when Dominic says, because she's taking all these hits, Tyra is in the first challenge, and Dominic says to Steve, How many hits can she take before she's um, It depends. No, no, Steve, it doesn't depend. She has a health bar. You can see the health bar. It's in the top left corner. Again, I guess in keeping with the style of the game, it's not the most useful health bar. It's a hand. It's a hand, yeah, that's counting down. Perhaps if you'd eaten your greens, you might have gone a little bit better. Maybe. But you're still not going to have any peas? No. No. Okay, I admire your principles, I have to say. Nora, that was very, very close, wasn't it? Did you ever, was there any stage where you didn't think you were going to do it? Yeah, when uh, it came to um, when you spring, the spring, when you spring up, into the ledge. Mm. So it's quite tricky that, but you were looking a bit Linford Christie grumpy there for a while, were you? Yeah. I love that she's standing by her morals. I thought that was really, really good. Which is like, hey, if you'd have eaten your greens, you might have done well. She's like, yeah, but I ain't gonna though, am I? And Dom observes that Nora did look a bit Linford Christie grumpy for a while, but hey, guess what, Luke? She doesn't need to look grumpy because despite that challenge being a bit shit, through no fault of the girls, I want to say. Nope, absolutely not. She still won a Golden Games Master joystick, and that's no bad thing. Absolutely not. No, like like you say, I don't think the challenge is particularly great, but I put no fault of that at, at the feet of the uh, the poor lasses playing this game. Yeah, like you say, a level select might have been, it might have been a review board, so you might have only had the Steamboat Willie level. It's a terrible advert for the game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's not. this is not going to make me want to own this game. No. Nope. This is going to make me want to run far away from this game and play Epic Mickey instead, which is a much better game. Or just reboot up Castle Illusion, which is a banging Mickey game on the Mega Drive. First up, upset parents everywhere by shooting more real-life digitised actors in Lethal Enforcers 2. For all budding cowboys out there, you can now get your hands on Lethal Enforcers 2. Basically, you can take part in armed robberies, bank robberies, shoot maps at the saloon, and even the Wild West chase with the Indians. The gameplay is very, very straightforward. Basically, shoot all the bad guys. They're very obvious. They wear black hats and stuff. And try not to shoot the pretty cowgirls and the nice old men. It's a great game. Somehow this kind of gameplay works really well, although it's not a long-lasting one. Once you've shot all the people you can shoot, then you're never going to come back to it. Um, yeah, like, they're pretty complimentary of this game. I would say this is very much a mixed review. It doesn't last you very long, uh, but the graphics are pretty good. I mean, Tim even says the words, it's a great game, um, which, you know, I mean, Adrian likes it because you get to shoot lots of stuff. 75% I think is a very uh, worthy score for this sort of title. Yeah, and interestingly, while it is called Lethal Enforcers 2, it is technically a prequel because it's set in the Old West. Therefore, by timeline alone, it's got to be a prequel. It's full of your Old West tropes. In many ways, it's a kind of kindred spirit to Mad Dog McCree, one of the old American laser games. Across the board, it was relatively well received. There's, there's not much exciting to say about it. No. 
it did get re-released on the PlayStation in a double pack with the first Lethal Enforcer, so it did jump across to the PlayStation, which also means that's probably going to be the best way to play it if you have a PS1 and a CRT TV. I'm one of the cool Judge Dread, no, the Stallone Judge Dread, not the decent Judge Dread kind of uh, enforcer guns that came yeah. out to go with that. Next up, the most gorgeous looking thing since Melissa from 30-something, Magic Carpet. If I was to say that Magic Carpet was doom in the air, I'd actually be lying, but it's somewhere near the truth. You're, you're floating around in a 3D environment, you've got to collect mana so you can build up a huge castle, and you get some wonderful spells at your disposal, the most notable of which is, of course, the earthquake, which tears its way through the landscape and wonderful 3D graphics. Shoot lots of things, rescue lots of people, increase your magical power, and take over magical Arabian kingdoms. It's a good-looking game. But again, it's only going to appeal to a limited audience since you need a super powerful machine to get the most from it. This is this game looks absolutely groundbreaking. It really, really does. I mean, really, Frank O'Connor has got the killer line of this review when he says that it will only appeal to a certain audience, which is very true. But also, you need a really good machine to be able to play this. My PC that I had at home, which I would have like in a couple of years time, would not be able to run Magic Carpet. No, definitely. Same, same here. Also, Frank has the line of saying if he was to say Magic Carpet was doom in the air, he'd be lying, except he'd also be telling the truth. Well, which is it, Frank? Come yeah, on. Yeah, which one is it? Is this one of those kind of logic puzzles of everything I say is a lie, except that which is the truth? Yeah, I guess it's just because it's first person. They're saying it's like Doom, which I think is an unfair comparison. It's like, you know, there are other first person games like that. Doesn't You wouldn't say that virtual racing when you go into the cockpit mode is a bit like Doom. I also want to give a shout out to Dominic Diamond for probably the most 90s comment we've had in a while, which is saying it's the most gorgeous looking thing since Melissa from 30 something. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit, 30 something. There's something I haven't thought of for, well, 30 something years. This this was a real, like, big technological achievement. You know, this this was designed to be a VR game as well. Like it was supported for the VF1 headgear, I, I think it was, and the the 3d glasses that came with it they were trying to create so because you're basically like you're on a magic carpet and you're going around like clearing land but also picking up mana to, to do this that and the other and it was meant to feel like this big expansive virtual reality world that you could go into but yeah i think it was hampered by the fact because it got like you know really good reviews across the board basically but it was hampered by the fact that you needed the top of the line gear in order to be able to play and get the full the full experience out of it i didn't play this on the pc i did play it on the playstation because it did get ports for the playstation and the saturn the saturn version was a bit janky but the playstation version was pretty good it lost the multiplayer aspect of the original pc version but had the hidden worlds expansion built in which you would get if you completed the game on normal mode yeah i think i'm pretty sure that's the version i've I've played as well the ps1 and i think one of the things that really blew my mind about it and they show it here is some of the spells you get it's not just kind of like going oh vroom if i throw a fireball lightning bolt lightning bolt they there are spells earthquake spells that just change the entire landscape around you in real time it kind of ripples underneath yeah and I'd kind of forgotten how groundbreaking that was because only a year or so from now, you get the shockwave effect in Wipeout on the PlayStation. And it's kind of like, well, that's cool, but pedestrian now because we've got it on the PlayStation. But here we are, 1994. This is kind of groundbreaking. But Luke, guess what? Oh, what, what could that possibly be, Ash? 
A port for the Atari Jaguar was in development after Atari made a deal with Electronic Arts to bring some of the latter's titles to the system in the middle of 1995. And in addition to other titles we've talked about that didn't appear, Magic Carpet was also on that list. Yeah, it's funny, uh, I was reading up about this, that like they were putting it in magazines and like catalogues and stuff that Magic Carpet was getting released on the Jaguar. But all the internal documents within Atari was like, yeah, under development, under development. And there's a lot of rumor and conjecture going around as to why this didn't get made in the end or why it didn't get released. Although I do love that there is a quote here from possibly one of the most amazingly named people involved in video games ever, Mike Disquette. Mm, it's cool, isn't it? That is such a great name, who basically said he was actually working on the conversion in-house before Atari bought the rights to the title and then just started porting it themselves. Yeah, which is funny because like I was reading up about this and he, yeah, he said that, but he's also said that he'd heard rumors. That's what it was that like they paid Bullfrog uh, a bunch of money so that they would do it themselves. But there are other people saying that that never happened. And it's, there's never really, there's never been a clear definition as to why this game never happened. And all we've really got like concrete proof, I guess, is that Mike Tisket was saying, I was doing this in my spare time trying to do it, but the Jaguar couldn't handle it. The Jaguar just was not good enough to let this game run properly. I do wonder, because it's already been said a lot that the Jaguar was an arsehole to develop for. Was it genuinely not good enough or were the development tools not mature enough? I mean, I guess we'll never know, but it is we'll it's a valid question. The quote I found from, uh, from Mike was that like it couldn't handle texture mapping and that's what really held the game back. That would make sense. But Luke, guess what? What's that, Ash? 3DO version was also in development also disappeared for unknown reasons. So I guess I share in your pain there. Finally, flying Desert Strike type 3D polygons ahoy in Z-Wolf. It's a sort of helicopter shoot 'em up a bit like Desert Strike, but much more 3D. You can travel around the whole area instead of just a sort of an isometric view. The graphics aren't up to all that much. I mean, it looks a bit like Virus from about 10 years ago, but happily the gameplay is amazing. This isn't your average uh, everyday shoot 'em up. It's not one where you can just sit down, get straight into it, and go around blasting things. There's a lot of artillery, a lot of armor you have to take care of before you can get down to the actual business of rescuing hostages. You have to scour the earth, destroying entire battalions of tanks, planes, and artillery. Um, it takes a long time to complete this game. We're about a third of the way into it, and it's huge. And there's nothing particularly new on offer here. But it's such a solid and playable package, I think Amiga owners will love it. And lastly, here's something you don't see every day, an Amiga game getting reviewed in Series 4. I thought the Amiga had just been banished to the consultation zone because we get it again later on in the show. But no, here we are, getting a brand new game for the Amiga reviewed, which is lovely. You know, this looks like a big advancement for Amiga games for the time. I mean, this is a 3D engine-based game on the Amiga, and it's, it's brand new. It's being released as this episode goes out, there was actually going to be a Mega Drive version. That never got released, and I'll be honest, probably because it just couldn't fucking handle it. They should have put this on the 32X loop. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. It wouldn't have been a multi-format exclusive, but it would have been a console exclusive. I mean, it is a fully 3D game. It does have some restrictions that are purely there because of limitations of the Amiga hardware. One is it's got a very shallow field of view. You don't see a lot of the world other than what's in the immediate surrounding of your ship. The other thing is it's a fixed camera angle. Again limitations of the hardware but it did get pretty it did get a good critical reception and good enough to warrant a sequel in 1995 so 
The Amiga was not yet dead. Now I know, despite what people will tell you, rumours of the Amiga's death have been greatly exaggerated. Although in the review, they're saying that the graphics aren't up to all that. But the gameplay still holds up, and I'm thinking, hang on, Frank, this looks bloody good. I was surprised when this came up saying at the end it was on the Amiga. Uh, I really was. I thought this would be a PC game. Uh, I was impressed by the how this game looks. Uh, and they said, like, you know, Frank's like talking about how massive the game is. They're only a third of the way through it at this point. 85%. That is a great score for an Amiga game here. Yeah, Tim has the best words with just saying it's a solid package. Amiga owners will love it. That is enough reviews. Let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I have something a little different for you now. If we get all musical on the video puzzle game Vid Grid on the PC. I've selected two of my favourite videos, November Rain by Guns N' Roses, and Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and scramble them. Contestants have a total of two minutes to unscramble both videos if they're going to earn my golden joystick. Ooh, this looks like it is going to be a challenge that is not visually interesting to watch. At least it will sound good, but I love the concept of Patrick Moore at a <laughs> Guns N' Roses concert. Oh yeah, some of my some of my favourites, Patrick, the Games Master says, in terms of November Rain and Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, just the concept of Patrick being at a stadium Guns N' Roses gig or seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers at like the Hammersmith Apollo or something like that. But yeah, you're right. This is not going to be the most interesting challenge to watch. They did choose two really solid songs. As is fairly obvious, and as Dominic comments, this is a slidey puzzle game, much like the Terminator 2 one we had a couple of seasons ago, but this time it's one based on music videos, and it is a very early Windows game for us to have mm. here on Games Master. It's both not impressive to look at and also very impressive because the quality of the video that we've got here, it's taking full advantage of Microsoft Video for Windows framework. And yeah, they're throwing chunks of the video around and bits are sliding all over the place and videos being fragmented up. And in that regard, it looks pretty good and was pretty well received. It also sold over 100,000 copies, so not much to sniff at. And two further spin-offs followed in 1995. Would you like to know the other songs that were on this game? Well, I would do, actually, yeah, because I think the most impressive thing about this game, aside from the fact that, you know, like compressed video and all that, that sort of stuff, is in 1994... Watching a music video was not the easiest thing in the world. You know, MTV is over in the States and we've gone like, if you've got cable, you might get some of the video uh, channels there that are showing music videos. But like for me, who had terrestrial TV, I never saw music videos apart from on top of the pops. So if I've got like music videos at home like and music videos for things like November Rain, a song I don't like, but I would sit there and watch the video anyway because I would have hold of it but I do really like the music video and the song for Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, that seems like pretty awesome, really. See, I do love the music video for November Rain because it is so stupidly overblown. Like so many of those later era Guns N' Roses videos, you can see that all the money that wasn't being spent on drugs was being put on the screen. Yeah, we talked about this with the meatloaf uh, with I Would Do Anything For Love, which is we're in a period of time that is unique to the uh, the 80s and the 90s. And it does not last. Actually, it lasts a little bit into the mid 2000s as well, whereas money is being spent on music videos. And this is just like a proper height where we're spending millions on music videos to sell albums and stuff. I love it. You talk about money being spent on music videos. Let's run down the seven other songs that are in this title. Crying 
by Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. Big Hollywood-type production shot on film. Sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel. Now we're talking. I'd have loved to have seen that on this one because, man, that would be hard because that video is all over the place. Are you experienced by the Jimi Hendrix experience? That's cool. Enter Sandman by Metallica. Nice. Great music video as well. Right Now by Van Halen, which again, I mean, it's a big name song. Oh, yeah. These are huge, huge name songs. Metallica, I'm really surprised to see in their type fuckers. Ah, but there is a very easy reason for why some of these are in here, and I'll get to that in a second. Is it a label over band? It is indeed that one of the key people behind this game was a former Geffen Records executive. Yeah, so he had sense. the contacts. He had the contacts. But No More Tears by Ozzy Osbourne. And then it closed out the nine tracks that were on this CD-ROM with Spoon Man by Soundgarden. Oh, I mean, I, I think I, I like half of those tracks, really. Like, there are some of them that I absolutely love. I'm, I, we've covered this on the positive part. I'm not the biggest Aussie fan. I'm, I really am not a fan of Guns N' Roses either. But yeah, Soundgarden, I'm massively into. I do like a, a handful of Metallica tracks. I would have absolutely loved this in the 90s. Because even though I'm not the biggest Aussie fan and I'm not the biggest Guns N' Roses fan, I'd have played the crap out of it just to watch the music videos. I mean, every single music video there, possibly with the exception of the Jimi Hendrix one, because I'm not sure what footage they would have used, whether they'd gone with Woodstock, live TV performance, because that's from a period when music videos were very nascent and very kind of early in their development. All the others are really, really good videos. I mean, Sledgehammer, still right. widely regarded as one of the best music videos of all time but as i mentioned it was headed by a former geffen records executive who i guess used his industry contacts because you've got songs there from electra mca and warner brothers including geffen and he said he expected resistance from the labels but they were actually quite keen to have their music videos licensed I guess it's like a new and exciting format. It's like a new, exciting way to get your uh, your videos out there, particularly if you've got a very charismatic salesman pitching this to you. Uh, to be like, this can get, you know, because the point of a music video is to make, is to sell records. So this is a different avenue that hasn't really been tried before to try and sell more records. But Luke, guess what? This isn't as hard, a Jaguar CD game, surely. This is a Jaguar CD game that was a pack-in title. It was ported, completed, and released in an incredibly smooth conversion process. So you've got to think, big win for Atari. It is, yeah, if you can get an Atari Jaguar CD that worked. Except High Voltage Software, who were doing the port to the Jaguar CD, developed several additional features that weren't found in the original PC version. So value-added content that could enhance this port and make give it a unique selling point for the Jaguar CD version. And Atari said no. They wanted a faithful 100% true to the PC conversion. They didn't want any value-added features. Muppets, Luke. Absolute Muppets. And not in the good gives me the feels way. Just Muppets as in their heads are full of felt. Well, we have said this before like with Atari. And we've read out interviews, you know, look at the chap who was talking about AVP. And it's just that Atari was sort of still in this 80s model of doing things. Like, well... We don't want to put in too much extra work because that costs money. What do you mean you need a team of people to make a game? It's just idiotic. But as we said, this game is essentially sliding puzzle. And the former Geffen executive who I mentioned earlier, he came up with this idea whilst he was playing with jigsaw puzzles with his kids. That's literally it. He probably had MTV on in the background, was playing with jigsaws with his kids. 
and saw Axel Rose wailing and looked at the jigsaw and went, wait a minute. And in fairness, this doesn't look, this isn't the most fun game to watch someone playing, particularly because it's very frustrating when they're doing very badly. But I did look at it going, I wouldn't actually mind playing this a bit because the music videos are pretty damn good. And also every time the camera moves or the camera changes or there's a shot change, that's going to increase the difficulty a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a game that, while very limited in its lifespan, would actually be fun to play for 5-10 minutes or until oh, you've yeah. at least managed to get through all of the music videos a couple of times, especially if they let you watch the music videos once you've completed them. Oh, but Luke, this is a celebrity challenge and, you know, this is actually a fairly big title for the time when you think about it because this is some big old music videos from some big old acts on Games Master, which, as we discussed earlier with Dom's Big Purple Column, is a big budget production now we got to have some big guests to play this. Now it's time for a walk down Teen Sensation Road as we welcome Lee, Richie and Rob, Let Loose. I want to be a teen pop sensation. Right. So tell me how you do it. Lee, start me off, step one. Tell you what you do. Show a lot of body, comb your hair, brush your teeth, that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. don't write any songs, that kind of thing. All That's right, step two. Oh, cheers, I was going to say that. I think you should write songs, but thank you very much. <laughs> hey, Rob? I think you should go to church on Thursdays. I think, I think you should. That's what you should, you should do. Have, not, should. not just Sundays, but Thursdays. You should appear on Games Master, work. and you know when you've been on Games Master, you've made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I have a problem in that uh, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't play an instrument, and I'm not terribly bright, so I guess it's uh, East 17 then. <laughs> For me. Who the f*** are these lads? I didn't quite have that in my notes. <laughs> I just had the words, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. I was like, let loose. Who are you? Well, they're a British pop trio with Lee, Richie and Rob. Richie is on lead vocals and keyboards. Rob is on guitar and backing vocals. And Lee is on drums, percussion and backing vocals. So immediately, I will give them credit. They are not just a boy band. They are musicians that are are being marketed as boy bands. And actually, when you look at them, I like these guys. I've no idea who they are. I don't remember any of their songs. I don't remember anything to do with them. But I warm to them very quickly because they are clearly aware of how absolutely f***ing ridiculous they look being marketed as a boy band. I didn't remember them either. Like, I literally wrote in my notes, like, who the f*** are these lads? And so I went onto the old YouTube and I booted it up and I had a look and listened to some of their songs. And they have, like, the most generic boy band songs Yeah, they are playing instruments. They aren't musicians, but man, I mean, they're busted before busted is essentially the way to describe them. And the songs ain't good. Like they're they're basically like lame. Take that efforts, but you know they are pretty nice in the interviews and stuff. And sort of like in the, I mean, they're very bad at this game, which we'll get to in a little bit. So that kind of warms them. But yeah, the music is bad, and there's a reason why they. Didn't, I don't think they lasted very long. No, they released a couple of albums. I'm amazed it's a couple. They had two albums. They had their first album, self-titled Let Loose. They had a second album called Roller Coaster, and then they kind of split up. Uh, Richie joined a band called Bottlefly. Rob continued playing drum in other projects. And Lee became a disc jockey and session drummer. Oh, and actually became talent management, having worked with Holly Valance, Kelly Brook, and Page 3 model Keely Hazel. So, you know, went on to have careers elsewhere in show business. And then in 1998, 
they released a best of album. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing and giggling. The Spice Girls did the same thing. But the story does not end there for Let Loose because in 2008, Richie and Lee reunited to write and record together under the Let Loose name. Rob declined to be involved in that band's comeback. By December of 2008, they had written four new songs, they'd been added to the official Let Loose MySpace page, and the band reported that it was in talks with several record labels regarding possible recording contracts. I don't believe them. Well, Murray left shortly after that, but Richie, he recruited four new bandmates, and then they released a new album, Paint It In Gold, which was released independently in 2009, but the story doesn't end there. Oh, for God's sake. Because in 2014, the original lineup got back together, reforming for an arena tour called Another Time, Another Place, scheduled to share the bill with acts such as All Saints, Atomic Kitten, East 17, Big Brovers, and, most star-studdingly of all, Jenny from Ace of Bass. Let me tell you this, Let Loose. You ain't selling any of those tickets... Fucking All Saints are carrying the lion's share there of selling those tickets. Bloody hell. Well, clearly not enough because two weeks after tickets went on sale, the entire tour was cancelled due oh, to low God ticket sake. sales. Yeah, wow. But Luke, the story doesn't... No, it does. hell. No, it does actually end there. Oh, I just okay. like winding you up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I, honestly, the, the, these lads, I mean, they're, they're, they're perfectly fine and everything, but, like, I fucking hated this challenge. And I really, like, the, the only thing to mention from the interview is that we, it's not Linford Christie that's to be dunked on. It's E17. Because when Dominic Diamond does his dunking shot on E17, the three of them go like, <gasps> like they go like audibly gasping. You can't, you can't say that. What if, what if they, I, they might, like, we might see them on top of the pops. They might have a go at us. They're hard. I see when I warmed to these guys was part of the whole Dom shtick of going, oh, you know, I want to be in a boy band. Talk me through it. It was Lee just going, show a lot of your body, clean your teeth, brush your hair. Oh, yeah. Don't write any songs. That's very important. Don't write any songs. Yeah. Which scuppers Richie, who was actually going to say write songs. And Rob's answer of, well, you've got to go to church on Thursdays, not just Sundays. You've got to go Thursdays and Sundays as well. And at that point, I'm like, these guys get it. I felt bad for him, actually, when he did that line, when he was like, you've got to go on Thursday, because he almost like looks to the audience for a reaction, and there's no reaction whatsoever. And I'm like, actually, I felt that that deserved more of a reaction than it got. Right, while I go off and cop my first single then, we'll take a quick break. The new Compact Presario is a home computer that has everything you need to run your own business including a built-in answer phone and fax. It also comes with CD-ROM to bring interactive learning to your children and multimedia entertainment to you. The new Presario from Compaq. Improved pots with the flavor volume turned full up. As my father used to say, stop playing with your lunch and eat your dinner. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What you see was my father's before me and his father's before him. And someday, son, all this will be yours. Thanks, Dad. Castle miners made with golden cluster hops. Ingenious inheritors wouldn't give a Castlemaine Forex for any other lager. Welcome back. Our guests tonight are let loose, and before the break, they told me how to become a teen pop sensation. Now we're going to see what their games playing skills are like. Brad Burton from Amiga Action is helping me describe the action. Brad, this is a variation on the old sliding puzzles that used to really annoy you when, when we were younger. What tips can you give Let Loose? Well, I reckon what we could do here, Dominic, we could go with going for the corners, go for the old bingo method, get the corners in there and then we'll go for it then. I was disappointed in Brad Burton hearing the, the colour commentary position because usually Brad's got like when you know when we had Anton Deck on and he was there and he could do like the whole of um, uh, get ready to rumble but really he just basically just gives advice on how to play the game I thought he'd be there to like I mean if it was Dave Perry Dave Perry would be dunking on this band somewhat fierce I'm not gonna lie I want to know what the fuck was going on with Brad in this challenge he is borderline unintelligible throughout most of it now we know Brad has had various issues in his past and he's obviously come back and cleaned up and stuff like that but he is giving Dom nothing to work with here, and Dom is carrying this challenge. I wondered, I had a bit of a theory on that, because I thought Brad was really weird on it as well. But Dominic's audio sounds so weird compared to what like he says beforehand, and then what, ha- what he's saying during the challenge, as if Dominic re-recorded his audio. And it feels as though Dominic re-recorded, but they're still using Brad's take from the day. Because it ne- like nothing ever, it never feels like they're talking to each other. It's really weird, and I wasn't sure if it was just because of the mix or anything. I don't know because like there are times when Dom is clearly throwing lines for Brad to comment on, and Brad's just like one word answer. It's almost like a soundboard. Yeah, I I was looking forward to hearing what Brad had to say on this challenge, and I did leave it feeling both disappointed and also slightly worried for Brad. Best of luck, lads. Your time starts now. So off we go, November Rain by Guns N' Roses, and I think this video is what you call pretentiously arty. They've gone for a blue hue, which is tragically unhip. Nine seconds gone, they've got a couple of squares in place, so that's not too bad. It's Lee who's doing the honour so far. That's the third square in place. Not a bad start, Brad. Yeah, well, uh, they've, they've got to go again, get the corners and go. OK, that's right, as you said, start for the corners like the big one. There was a beard that cracks up, looking like conducting there, and they're just about, yes, they've got all four. All 
Definitely some production snafus in this because it doesn't sound like the audio just sounds real weird, and it no, like it doesn't sound like they're even in the same room together. On top of that, this challenge is just watching three lads fumble around. I say three lads, basically like only one of them gets a turn for about twenty seconds, and the rest of them like it feels like the whoever the first one is has it for the majority of the time, and he's the one who makes it all bad. Then the middle one fixes his error, then passes to the third one, who has no time to do the second video. But it takes them, like, they've got two minutes or something, and it takes them a minute, a minute 40 to get through the first one. It's annoying because, well, it's annoying for a lot of reasons, but it's specifically annoying because they actually get a cluster of four of them solved immediately. Unfortunately, the four they get sorted need to be in the top right and end up in the bottom left. It's not terribly clear, at least at first, how the sliding mechanism works. And actually what happens is they just swap places. Yeah. So really what you needed to do was you just needed to ignore where the other pieces were going and just go, okay, boom, 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 boom. And then look at the other pieces where they are and work out where they need to go. 45 seconds left. They're getting nowhere. And that's when Lee does the smartest thing possible. He hands over the controls to Richie. And Richie basically is the one who gets them through this. Yeah, he gets them through November rain with 19 seconds left. They don't get far in Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is a shame because if they'd moved really quickly at the beginning of that music video, you could have solved it because it's a very, very still shot for the first five to 10 seconds or so. But it doesn't feel like they're that comfortable with the way the game mechanic works. And also they are playing on a clipboard on their leg. Which could not have been an easy way to play this game. We talked about this when I like, was doing the lectern, like playing like mouse games on a lectern back in series one. And I, I would say as well, and they kind of talk about this in the post-match, the end one is probably the better of the three of them because he nearly does the Red Hot Chili Peppers video. He's only got 15 seconds and he comes pretty close to getting it done. Okay, first of all, now, Lee, um, what didn't go terribly well at the start? Talk no, us through it. What, no. what was that? Well, I mean, to be honest, you know, we are basically rubbish. I think that probably sums it up. No, I mean, the first one was, um, wasn't too bad. You know, we yeah. managed to get the, the middle line okay, but uh -huh. then it sort of went horribly wrong. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know whether it's just because you're, you're the singer or not, Richie, but you, I think you were hogging it a bit much, actually, towards the middle. No, I, 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 so, I yeah. gave Rob a go at the end. And to be honest, I couldn't even see the television, so I couldn't <laughs> see the arrow properly, honestly. So I had to give it to Rob. And Rob, but they only gave you a piffling 19 seconds. Well, that's all I expected from these two. I didn't expect any more than that. I was yeah. actually pleased to get 19 seconds. I Normally think it's nine seconds. Yeah, I think they would have done better, actually, if they'd given you a bit. We've got a few yeah. of those. We've got a few yeah. of those on the chilli peppers, you know. I know. But in the post-match, Lee doesn't sugarcoat it. He's just like, yeah, we were rubbish. Richie is accused of being a hog, which I find a little unreasonable because to me, at least, it felt like Lee had it for more time. Maybe I got them, maybe I got them mixed up. No, I know you're absolutely back. I think you're right on that. I think Lee had it for like the first minute and 20 or so before he handed it because it was the middle one who saved the whole thing, Richie. And yeah, and then Rob had 19 seconds left at the end, although he did say, well, that's what I expected. The other two were always going to hog it. I was pleased just to get 19 seconds. I like these guys. I wish they'd done better, both in the challenge and career-wise, like as a band. I wish they'd had a better chance of things. But what this was my highlight of the episode, is when Let Loose get thrown into the cage, probably to be joined by Anton Deck, who, you know, whose corpses are rotting in the corner. And as they're going in, the goblins start decking them. Start like punching them while they're going in, and they overlay punching sound effects over it. <laughs> And they're not just punching them, they're punching them squarely in the dick. Oh yeah, they're proper like nutshotting these lads. It really made me laugh, amplified by the fact that they were putting the sound effects over the top of it. Games Master, I like Benefactor on the Amiga, 
but I can't get off the bungee jump without dying. What you need is a friend. Pick up the cursed Merryman and run to the right. Let him go down the ladder and head toward a small gap. Then jump off the top ledge onto the bungee jump, collecting the keys as you fall. At the bottom, our little friend will make a small bridge appear under your feet, allowing you to jump off the roof safely. Thanks, Games Master. That's great. Amazingly, Benefactor is back again on the Amiga here, which is we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's another one of those you need to watch this because it doesn't really work written down, or you probably won't be able to follow it written down. So here's a really fun visual clue on how to get through this uh, this challenge. I actually kind of like this bit of the consultation zone. I just like the delivery of it, just Games Master's way of going, oh, what can you do? Well, you need a friend. It is very much a, this is how you solve the puzzle, but yeah, this, this is a sort of hint that I like in the consultation zone because I can imagine people tearing their hair out trying to get this one right at home. Yeah, this is exactly it. Like, what was the um that ants game, or you know, the the one that was the Colin Curley one, um, pushover or whatever it was, the sort of yeah. the domino rally game. We we got a little bit of that in series two, and I like that. I that's kind of what I like in the consultation zone at the moment. Are these sorts of like point and click adventure games or puzzle games like this? I feel like those are the ones that are benefiting the most from the consultation zone at this point. All my friends get angry at me because I take too long to choose my character when I'm playing Mortal Kombat 2. Can you help me? Well, try this. While you're on the character select screen, move the cursor onto Liu Kang. Then press up and start together. A character will automatically be selected for you. Try to be a little less timeless in future. Because the second guy here, who just wants a random character selection from Mortal Kombat, I mean, yeah, it's grand and all, but it's not like a that's something you, you want to be going to try at home. That's not like a way to sort of advance. It's basically just like, here is something that we know for Mortal Kombat 2, put it on the show. Yeah, put your cursor over Liu Kang, up and start, random character, done. Yeah. That's it. I mean, random character select is actually now standard. At that point, I can't remember if it was or not. I don't think it was. Hey, big guy, when I'm playing Banshee and the Amiga, I get really annoyed by the polar bears. There must be a way I can liven them up. This one's easy. On the high score table, type the following reprehensible code. I am exquisitely evil. This way into you can like kill the polar bear man. Will you be able to put a grizzly end for his cuddly capers? Thanks, Games Master. I love this last one because we get another hey big guy uh, introduction to it, but also it is Patrick Moore's delivery of I am exquisitely evil. Oh, he gets some he gets some measure on this one. I do love this. But also, holy shit. <laughs> this cheat code. I mean, the the whole thing is is like it's quite innocuous at the beginning of like the polar bears really annoy me. How can I liven them up? Well, technically this cheat code doesn't so much liven them up as turn them into cannon fodder. Because the polar bears, which are just part of the animated background and walking around, are now within firing range and will turn into a bloody pulp, very much in the cannon fodder style. I have never heard such a 90s code and cheat on this show thus far. This is the most 90s thing. These are like developers or programmers are like, do you know it'd be really funny? If like we put this thing in, I am exquisitely evil and you can kill the polar bears. How random is that? It's it's delightful. And this isn't an old game either. This was a 1994 game. It was actually only for the Amiga 1200 and the CD32. Despite that limiting factor, it was still voted the 39th best Amiga game by Amiga Power in 1996. So, 
you know, polar bear murder aside, or maybe because of it, it's quite a well-respected game. A typical two-up, two-down in small-town America, home to an equally cheesy American family, the Lincolns, mum, dad and son Jeffrey. Hello, mum. Hi, honey. But Jeffrey isn't that ordinary. For 40 grand, he'll throw a football match. He's also a fully paid-up citizen of the Imagination Network. INN, as it's known, is a virtual town where people from all across America can meet up on their PC screens and take part in over 80 different activities. You can put on bad clothes and get golfed up, play some boring cards, enter a medieval fantasy adventure or just hang around and talk pants. I've made about probably 100 friends on INN. All of them come from the United States, some from California, all the way down to New York. And they all think you're groovy. Jeffrey, dinner's ready. Not content with meeting virtually, members regularly meet up at INN conventions. If you think they should be locked up by the fashion police, that's because they're dressed as their network personas or tunes. This is how Jeffrey appears to other people on the network. If you're going to make lots of friends, then you need an interesting tune and a handle, which is a name to you and me that conveys something about you. I chose my handle because I think it shows, it says that I'm a, I have a good eye for shooting people down in Red Baron. Jerk. Jeffrey, dinner's ready, honey. Yeah. It's my local uh, hangout. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a bar in <laughs> I spend more time room. sometimes on INN than I do going out socially. Oh, I know I do. And to think Americans have nuclear weapons. Like any other town, the INN is expanding daily with more services coming online. Jeff, what are you doing in there? Poor Mrs. Lincoln, it seems little Jeffy's discovered many blokes and birds more interesting than his gorgeous mum. We get quite a long feature here, which is, you know, again, featuring that Dominic Diamond Mystery Science Theatre uh, voicing over it. Some actually some really well-timed ones, in fact. I particularly liked um, Hello Mum, because the mum then says Hello Jeff, which I thought was an excellently timed gag. But this is about the imagination network and imagination, the nation part of that is capitalized to make it INN. And yeah, this is basically an American video about this sort of like, it was, you know, Sierra's sort of uh, online service they've been developing since the late 80s. It's sort of them being like, yeah, this is this cool thing. It's this online community. It's, you know, it's an early version of, I don't really know, but it's like, it's it's sort of like the, uh, an online portal for you to make friends. It's, you know, early social media. Yeah, it, it was kind of inspired by the uh, Prodigy service that launched in around 1988. And Sierra looked at it and went, we kind of like that concept, but we'd like to apply it to our branding. They launched the Sierra network, as it was called at the time, it was an internet chat room, but also kind of a bit of a precursor to massively multiplayer online role-playing games. There were different lands and different realms, and they tied into different titles and different activities, some of which we see Jeffrey partaking in here. And you see like the that aspect of it, because uh, they have like a convention for it, and people going dressed as their avatars, and it is sort of like ro the fantasy role-playing style. Yeah, very much. It's like You create your own avatar. You want to make yourself look interesting. This was actually quite successful for a while, given how relatively low access the internet was at that point. 
And around this time in 1994, AT&T had actually taken possession of it from Sierra. They'd invested $5 million in it and then taken it over. And that's when it became imagination. And it's also why there's kind of a bit of a branding kind of inconsistency in some of the bits of the video, because obviously this piece went out in November. And at this time, it was still going between Sierra and imagination. And whilst it had you know, tens of thousands of participants across the United States, it never really went beyond that. And a couple of years later, it was actually sold entirely to America Online, who, of course, via the CDs that you got with everything, were the ones that really did bring America Online. And also the UK Online, which is weird because we're not in America last I checked. But I digress. That was very much when they were just like, no, this is just AOL. And that was just, uh, yeah, because a friend of mine, actually, that was his internet provider was AOL. He literally had the You Got Mail thing. And even America Online couldn't make it work because a couple of years later in 98, they shut it down as well. It lasted seven years total, which, again, a few years later, and maybe it would have stuck around. Maybe it would have become the precursor to Second Life. Yeah, yeah. Slightly less sex. That's exactly it. Like I was reading an interview with Ken Williams about this, and he basically said almost the same thing, which is just that, the idea that they had for the Sierra Network and Imagination Network was just, it was probably just too ahead of its time. And they'd sold it in the sort of, you know, mid 90s, but sort of by the mid 2000s, this sort of thing became a bit of a boon and sort of became a very successful thing. It's because they were developing this in the 80s and, you know, in, in the 90s, the internet's in its infancy. It would have worked. But yeah, basically, just, it was too early, really. But Dom takes us through some of the activities. You can play golf, play some boring cards, have a fancy adventure, or hang around, Luke, and talk pants. His mum being like the, Jeffrey, it's time for dinner, is uh, is is really, really quite hammy. Yeah. And Jeffrey, Jeffrey himself, who's well ensconced in his online world, says he's got about 100 friends online, and they're from all over America, from California all the way down to New York. And Dom says they all think he's groovy. And I don't think Dom is being terribly sincere here. No, Dom is very much making fun of this. It's, it's that mystery science theater thing that I keep mentioning, because that's exactly what Dom wants this to be. We also get a little bit of insight into Jeffrey's name, which he chose because he thinks it shows he has a good eye for shooting people down in Red Baron. And Dom's response is simply jerk i like the american family that they speak to where it's like actually i spend more of my time on INN than i do in actual social life and i definitely do that and dominic just very pithily says and to think americans have nuclear weapons and i do like that dom in his closing moments on this feature uses them to hit on jeffrey's mother yeah it's it's okay like it's an okay feature and stuff i i i'm less interested in this side of things which is just the it, it feels like they've they've done this just to make fun of it as opposed to sort of like saying like here is an advancement in things i find them fascinating because i forget things like this existed at this time oh yeah also i did enjoy it because of the kind of quartet of people they show at the end that are other imagination network users one of them is wearing a really awesome mighty duck shirt it's good isn't it yeah, yeah, so that's nice. a quality shirt. Well, that is enough of that feature. Let's get into our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My final challenge for the show is on the PC Monster Fest, Creature Shock. Our challenger has to dispatch two hideous critters before they turn him into a light snack, taking care to hit them where it hurts. Good luck. This is a pretty cool-looking game. It's very much like... It's not a first-person shooter, although it's sort of like framed as one. It's very much more like mist. 
it's a bit miss. It's a bit American laser. It's a bit shooter on rails. You can tell how kind of like American laser like it is by looking at some of the places it went. Now, it was released on the PC and the 3DO, and that's fair enough because they are capable games machines to varying degrees. It was then later ported to the CDI, and that kind of tells it all to me. There was a Saturn and PlayStation version as well. It was quite fondly remembered by a lot of people because, I mean, this game did look great, and it does actually look kind of fun here. It, it's not advanced game mechanics at this point. It looks impressive, and the, the kind of the style of the pre-rendered monsters hasn't aged that badly. It's quite simple by today's standards, but it's a sort of design style that could go quite well in an indie game now. Mm. But it was a big old game. This took up two CD-ROMs. This was over a gigabyte of video footage because most all of this was full motion video with an overlay and gameplay is divided into two portions. The on-rail shoot-em-up portion, which is the part that we see here, and an adventure-style first-person portion where the player chooses between track-based paths. So kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure-style thing where you diverge on a path and it plays a different bit of footage based on that. PC and the CDI version, they both use a mouse. The CDI version also introduced the use of the light gun. Amazingly, especially given it did get a port to the PlayStation and Saturn, no light gun support there. Hmm. However, both the PlayStation and the Saturn version were special editions which meant they got a little bit of added content and the video was a bit higher quality. It was an Argonaut game, which is a publisher we have already featured the games of on this show because they were the developer of Star Fox. Added content, Ash. That is why the PlayStation and the Saturn completely died on their ass and the Atari Jaguar CD rose to all those heights. Added content isn't what people want, Straight ports is what people are after. Speaking of, Luke, guess what? Oh, fucking hell. Okay, go on then. Creature Shock was announced for the Jaguar CD at the ECTS 94. In fact, it was advertised as one of the first upcoming titles for the add-on. It was even showcased at E3 1995 and was then cancelled due to poor reception of the video demo. Yep, that sounds about right. I mean, actually, I thought you were going to say it was cancelled due to poor sales of the fucking machine that no one bought. But also, this game is essentially just video. Yeah. It's video running, which we know the Jaguar can do. We just had a god-awful celebrity challenge <laughs> showcasing it. And they f***ed up porting this to the Jaguar CD. It was it was a bugger to make things for, I guess. Anyway, we are focusing on the shoot-em-up section here. And the challenge itself is fairly simple. Kill two of the hideous critters without dying yourself. Indeed. And that's key there. There are two critters that you have to kill. Or there are three that you will encounter, but the the middle one doesn't count. No, the middle one doesn't count. It's not an official critter. It's just more an annoyance. Now, please welcome our final challenger on this fine day, Mark Brazier. Mark, you had a bit of an unpleasant experience a couple of birthdays ago, didn't you? Oh, Monday yeah, Frank. yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of bouncers that I used to work with at a certain place. Um, they uh, decided it'd be very funny to strip me naked and give my clothes to somebody else. So I had to go and get them, really, and it's a bit embarrassing, you know. Which was actually the original <laughs> challenge you were going to be doing tonight. Was it? But then we had oh, to change right, it to, to Creature Shock instead. <laughs> Mark is our challenger with a very fun birthday story to tell, which is a proper, like, lad's birthday story from your mid-twenties. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone has got these sorts of stories. Joss Bilson has got one that we're going to hear in a little bit. I, I've got stories like this because I was a lad who was once in my twenties. I've got stories of misadventure from my 20s. I've got at least one of them. 
that will be an under console nation exclusive if anyone remembers to ask about it <laughs> next month. Anyway, I do have various misadventures from my 20s. I have some regrettable decisions involving alcohol consumption. None of them involve being stripped or handcuffed. No, I didn't have any of those ones. I do have some of the former, though. Um, a lot of university uh, years were like that because I was a drunken idiot uh, when I was at university. Reckless youth. Hooray! Exactly, it really was. My reckless youth and my tutu at the end of it. I got my Desmond and I, I, I got a drinker's degree, basically. I hear the story here that Mark Brazier, our competitor for this challenge, says, and I'm just like, man, is that a jape? Or is it workplace bullying? It's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. But it's also the 90s, so there is no line. Oh, yeah. Lads, 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 lads. I did like it. I was like, we had to change it to creature shock. And the guy who's playing along was like, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. I thought it was really good. Either this guy is very natural with his bants, or these two know each other. There yes. feels to be a real kind of like relationship between the two, especially in the post-match. But we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Because Joss from Total, as you mentioned, is in the commentary box. He has his own harrowing 21st birthday experience. And joining me for Creature Shock is Joss Bosa from Total. Joss, um, do you have any humorous birthday anecdotes? Yeah, quite another similar one, actually. Um, a couple of years ago, my 21st, I was celebrating that, what I thought was a quiet drink with a couple of friends, mm. ended up with me stripped of my boxer shorts, handcuffed to a lamppost, left me there for an hour and a half in the freezing cold. But you actually asked them to do that? No. Paid them, yeah, but... <laughs> right. Didn't Josh... expect them to do it. <laughs> Josh, have you got any tips for Mark on this, then? Right, yeah, it's a tough game. Brilliant-looking game. Um, but the key to it is that when the monsters attack you, you haven't got any defence, so you have to keep pummeling them, have to keep on firing, and you'll be all right. Yeah, being stripped down to his boxes and handcuffed to a lamppost. And I love Dominic Diamond just replying, like, oh, yeah, but you wanted that to happen. Joss fires straight back. Oh, no, I paid them to do it. <laughs> either well rehearsed or quick thinking either is acceptable it made for entertaining television regarding the game Josh says it's tough but brilliant looking you have no defense from the monster's attack so you just have to basically pummel them when you get the chance yeah because the way that this works it's like mist where you get to a certain area then you click to go down to a, a path and you've got to take a certain path to get to the two critters that we're after here and then the critters will go into an animation and you just have to hit them in the sweet spot so the first critter it will sort of like rear its head round and reveal this green patch, and that's where you've got to shoot it. And as long as you keep doing that, it then won't attack you. And Mark has a bit of trouble getting the, this just right. Like he sort of like biffs it a, a handful of times and eventually does get him taken down. He then has massive trouble with the bird that comes next that is flying around, keeps missing it, and then it just flies right into his face. We get this animation of the bird thing, like attacking around at his face stuff, and then just flies off. But Joss was very clear to say, that's not the second critter. The second critter is a big old mother. It just sort of like comes out of the ground. It looks wicked. I, I really like the look of this game. Yeah, this second monster just has real eldritch horror vibes to it. It comes out yeah, of a pool rad. of water. It's all Cthulian tentacly. Yeah, the second one's a, a huge thing. Massive it is. And he's got like 75 health. It takes him down to 50. But just as Dominic Diamond is trying to get in... See that monster, Joss? That's your girlfriend, that is. <laughs> he kills the thing, and the thing dies. And I think they thought it was going to take him longer to do. Yeah, he has a much easier time killing the second beast because the second beast isn't covering its weak spot, whereas the first beast he does. This was a fun game to see. It wasn't the most tense challenge. In fact, the most tense bit of it was the creature that didn't count. Yeah. But, you know, 
it was still fun enough. And also the commentary was fun, even if they only just got in the that's your girlfriend, that is joke at the end. I see, I seem pretty straightforward. Well, yeah, Mark, um, any, any bits you were troubled by at all? Well, that first one, he kept covering up a bit, but, yeah. you know, soon, yeah. got, soon got him. And then the bat threw it in your face? Oh, yeah. That was, that was a bit tricky. What was going through your mind when that bat smacked you? Well, it reminded me of your old uh, hairstyle. Ouch! <laughs> You mean you don't like my, my Gary Barlow one? <laughs> no. Well... This means I can go off and form a team band and all the others will be better looking at me, but I'll be the only one who can sing, play an instrument or write songs. Oh, you sing then. It's very good. <laughs> um, maybe it's, it's two weeks on the trot now. We have had someone attacking Dominic's hairstyle. Which is pretty apropos, really, because Dominic is also attacking a lot of other people for their hairstyles. It's clearly just the running gag that they've got going on within sort of like the, 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 the people running the show. I thought either... Dominic and this lad know each other, or someone in production has told them, told the contestant to have a pop at Dominic's hair because everyone in the production has been making fun of Dominic's hair. Yeah, because last week we had his current haircut being compared to that of a neo Nazi. And this week they're going after his old season two haircut with the floppy fringes. And that's where he says, Oh, the creature on my face, it reminded me of your curtains. But Dom, in a bit of continuity, takes it right back to the boy band thing and goes, well, that means I'm kind of the Gary Barlow. So, you know, I may not be the best looking, but I can write the songs, play the instruments. Not pay my taxes. And not pay my taxes. But whilst Dom puts his boy band together, Mark gets his joystick. I enjoyed that challenge. I really did. It was my favourite of the three that we got on this episode, handedly so. Uh, I, thought it, I thought it looked great. I thought that Mark was great. I thought the commentary was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. And also a little bit more antics with the goblins as they kind of roughhouse him off the screen. And Dom gives us his closing line. We're finished here for now. I'm off to tell kids at Disneyland that Mickey Mouse is just a bloke in a suit. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. What I did like about this outro line is that it shows that this was all filmed on the same day. This wasn't just three challenges that were like stitched together from random tapings. This was very much, no, this was our Mickey challenge at the start so we can have our Mickey quote at the end. Or they were very clever on the editing. Or there's that, yes. It could go either way. Either is admirable. Either planning is admirable or paying attention in the editing booth is admirable. We're going, hey, we've got Mickey Mouse. We've got a line about Mickey Mouse at the end and boy band and there's a boy band here. Yeah. In. But that's going to do us for episode 10. We're past the halfway mark now. The end of series four is remarkably in sight. But Ash, what did you make of it? You know, I always have fun discussing these episodes with you, regardless of the quality of the episode. It's because you're a great person to talk and dismantle stuff with. And we go on some fun old tangents, don't we? Oh, yeah, we certainly do. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you don't hear in this show because we're currently nearing two and a half hours for this record. And I can guarantee you it won't be two and a half hours at the end product. And I was just sat here thinking, what did I think of it? And I'm like, oh, it was great when we talked about this, this, this and this. And we talk, you know, we covered this and we went on to talking about vegetables and stuff like that. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but that wasn't the episode. That, yeah. was, that was us. And, and I do wonder sometimes, do we tangent more when the episode is holding our attention less? Because hmm. this was not a great episode. And it's not like the episode dragged. And as you mentioned, there was this kind of either by planning or editing, there was a storyline running through it to do with boy bands and haircuts and whatnot. It's probably maybe my least favourite episode of season four so far. I would agree with you on that one. I, I, I gave 79%, I think, to the last episode. And I think this one was worse than last week. I think we have reached a point in Games Master now. Like I've, I, You could almost pinpoint the moments that we, we, we are at now where... The challenges are not the important part of this show anymore. It is about the features. It is about the news. 
even like not even to an extent the reviews i think that this show is more interested in what is coming up as opposed to what they've already done but yeah it's just that it feels like less emphasis is put on the challenges and i like the challenges on games master that's why i warm to games master the news is great features are great um the reviews are great but i like the challenges and i like watching the challenges and i like the challenges being good and unfortunately for the last couple of episodes we i think we've had a lot of mediocre challenges and I think that's why I think perhaps this is, might be why I don't want to speak for you, but perhaps this is why you and I are a bit colder on the episodes than we have been for some of the other ones in, in series four. Yeah. And there is coming a point where two challenge episodes will become much more common. And, you know, and you'll sometimes end up with an episode where there is one challenge that runs the entire length of the episode. And I'm looking forward to that because the thing is, it may be a one challenge episode, but they're playing some cracking games. Mm -hmm. It's not that I need three challenges per episode to make me enjoy an episode. Uh, See the episodes where we recently had first footage of Ridge Racer or see the episode where we had the long FIFA challenge. What dragged that episode down wasn't the FIFA challenge. It was the football management feature at the end. Exactly. And and to be honest, that wasn't even because the feature was bad. It's just because I don't give a shit about football management simulations. I'm not going to criticise Games Master for that because that's my taste. Yeah. But this episode just felt so-so and it's not... I, I actually don't think it's because they were focusing more on the features and the news than the challenges. I just think it was a bad week. There was something about this episode that I, I was a bit... I'd never bored by, but it wasn't a great episode. So I think I'm like mid-70s for this one. Maybe 76, I think. I mean, same. And I am looking ahead... I'm kind of cheating a bit here because I don't have the notes for all the upcoming episodes sorted, but I'm looking ahead at what games we've got in the coming episodes. I was doing the same thing. Episode 11, it's not going to be the best. No. But episode 12? That's got the fun Bomberman challenge. Although, as I said, it's weird because it's not a multiplayer one. Episode 14? I mean, that's got some great games in it. I think that's the Christmas special, that one. I mean, it's got Windjammers, spoilers. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to hear me complaining to see Windjammers on television. And if I remember correctly, I haven't watched the episode yet, but if I remember correctly, that's Kylie Minogue against John Major. Yes, I think it's the, yes, it's the celebrity impersonators. So who knows? You know, maybe it's as the show finishes regenerating into its next form, maybe our taste will shift a bit as well, because it did with season three. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of an adjustment there to get through. But that was a clean break. It ended season two in one way and it started season three with a fresh format. And then it did it again at the midway point. And again, they just did a clean break. They didn't kind of transition between formats. And then just looking ahead to series five, two challenge, two challenge, two challenge, two challenge. It's not until episode five we get a three challenge episode. I'm also looking at the games that we're going to be seeing in those shows. And ooh, daddy, there's some fun ones in there. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think, you know, towards the second half of Series 4 now, we have got a bunch of two challenge episodes coming up and the games might not be great, but I wonder if we've got some killer features in there that's really going to elevate the episodes for us. Going to be exciting to find out, but that is all in the future, Luke. It is indeed, yeah. So, I mean, I went 76% for the episode. What have you got? I actually went 1% lower. I went 75 Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to get in touch with this show, we are on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, chat with other fans of games, retro gaming, and pop culture in general, you can do so on our Discord server, details of which can be found in the show notes or on our social media. 
If you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, which will give you access to UCP Extra, which is this format, but done about other shows from the 90s. You'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community show. The £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad free. And at £10, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do you get? You'll get our Patreon merch pack, which contains a Patreon-exclusive mug, which is filled with Sweeties retro trading cards, Patreon-exclusive badges and stickers, and £5 off our under-consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other badges, stickers and mugs at underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Robert, Richard, Rich Pemberton, Nick, Misha, Matthew, Boo, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for episode 11. Take care, everyone. Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.